just learning about other cultures, the best way to interact with other cultures. I'd say it's one of the things that I still think about a lot to this day. That's Miranda McLear on when she was chosen for KPMG's Global Advantage program. And this is Phoebe Drummond with Webcast. Miranda McLear is a tax associate at KPMG out of the Boston office. Miranda gives a really realistic look into the entire accounting recruiting process and her first year on the job experience. Her sophomore year, she applied to multiple externships, which are preliminary interest programs held by public accounting firms and can lead to return internship offers after your junior year. She was chosen by KPMG to attend one of these programs in Amsterdam. There, she learned about the firm, met other students, and we talk about how one of her biggest takeaways was actually learning about types of communication across cultures. We then get into Miranda's specific role now and how she helps clients in the biotech space maximize their research and development efforts. She says her role is much more than crunchy numbers. It takes a really analytical approach to help clients. We then get into tackling the CPA exam and her experience abroad in Parma, Italy. Sort of accommodate to us. So I know you're from Long Island and I know that you are with KPMG at the Boston office. Walk me through your decision making process of recruiting for Boston versus New York. Yeah. So most of the recruiting events had people from the Boston office. Um, and I was sort of like going back and forth of like whether I wanted Boston or New York because I'm from Long Island. Like it's like close to home. I'm very comfortable in New York, but I sort of decided for the internship. I was like, if I'm ever going to try out Boston, now's the time. Like it makes more sense to try it for the summer see if I like it. And KPMG was like very, um, accommodating. They were like, if you decide that you want to transfer at any point, like obviously it's going to be a process and like, it's not gonna be an overnight thing, but like you could probably move to New York. So I sort of made the decision that it would make more sense to try Boston for the summer and see if I liked it. And then if not transfer, um, I ended up loving it. So is the New York office bigger? Did you consider the professional opportunities from city to city? So the office in New York is way bigger. I think, um, the Boston office is like pretty small, still a substantial size, but, um, it's not like anything crazy. I sort of just like wanted to see what it was like to actually live in Boston, like being at BC, you're like, you know, sort of in Boston, but not really. You're not like in the city. You like, you know, go take day trips into the city. But I sort of wanted to see what it would be like to, you know, be there for more of the time. It ended up working out really well. I really liked the team I was put on. um, So that contributed to a lot. I didn't want to like transfer and you know, take a gamble on like who I get placed with. And can you speak to the specificities of accounting recruiting in general? Um, sort of. So the way accounting recruiting is set up is a little bit different. So sophomore year, um, they have these externship programs where you could sort of apply to all of them. And once you get in, it's like a two or three day program over the summer um, at the office that you'd be working at. And it sort of comes with an internship attached at the end, but you can accept the ed- as many externships as you want. And then at the end of the summer, you pick one to accept the internship for. Um, and that sort of gets into the whole Amsterdam thing where, um, so I applied sophomore year for like all of those programs. 
and ended up getting a really awesome opportunity to go to Amsterdam with KPMG instead of doing the like traditional externship. So that's sort of how I ended up in that spot. But it's definitely a really early on decision. There's always time to change. Amsterdam was so cool. It was, um, so it's this program called Global Advantage. And every year for the externship, um, KPMG picks a few people. I think it was I want to say like 100 to 150 okay. people worldwide. Will they select out of the applicant pool? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you're applying to the externship, there's no separate application to the Global Advantage program. The interviewers sort of recommend you for the spot. Big little and surprise. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was actually like a crazy experience. Um, when they told me that I had gotten it, um, so I had interviewed right before spring break and then come home for spring break. And while I was home, I got like a call from a random Boston area code. And I was like, oh my God, who is this? Um, but I was like somewhere that I couldn't answer the phone. Um, so I had to let it go to voicemail. And the yeah. voicemail was like, voicemail was like, hey, we like want to talk to you about your application. I was so nervous, but I called and they told me um, that I was chosen for this. Um, it was me and one other girl from BC who got chosen. Oh, that's nice to have someone else from BC. Yeah, it was so nice. And it's funny, she had actually ended up being my roommate abroad the next um, year. By coincidence or did you work that out? Um, It was a coincidence when I met her. So I hadn't known her before and we got introduced through the recruiter. Mm -hmm. It was like this other girl going to this program with you. Um, And we just got to talking and she was like, yeah, I'm going to Parma next year. And I was like, no way, me too. And we got placed in the same apartment. So I had actually met, there was two other girls who went, who were from Bentley and I was introduced to them beforehand. So we kind of... um, all had talked and I think it was five days of the actual program and then KPMG actually it was very nice of them they let us um, extend our trip as long as we wanted and they would pay for our return flight so um, obviously we had to pay for our hotel for the extra days uh-huh. but they paid for everything for those five days and then um, those girls and I decided to extend our trip to so fun it was really fun it was such a great opportunity and the program itself was actually really helpful mm. So the way the program worked was during the day, we would be at the hotel conference center and it was people from all over the world um, who were invited to this program. And we'd be in not really classrooms, but sort of like a workshop environment, just learning about other cultures, the best way to interact with other cultures. I'd say it's one of the things that I still think about a lot to this day is just they gave us this model of like four different types of communicators. It's So there was amiable drivers, expressives, and analyticals. And it was sort of obviously a very simplified down way to think about the person that you're interacting with and sort of how the best way for you to get your point across was and how you could present your information in a more effective way to them. And sort of we talked about how that goes across cultures too and how some cultures prefer different styles of communication and everything like that. It was really helpful. I love that you say that that is one of the things that you remembered. Like every time I have a meeting with any of my managers um, for my job now, I think about, (laughs) yeah, not like to a huge extent, but you know, some people want to chat more at the beginning of the meeting. Some people Mm want to get straight to the point and sort of knowing how they like to communicate makes it easier for me to Mm -hmm. sort of plan for that. And when you say you went through an interview process, even though this was only your sophomore year, what did that look like? Was it a resume drop or was it rounds of behavioral interviews? Were there technical interviews? 
Um, yeah, so it was a full interview process. They were all behavioral. It was no like technical anything. Yeah. Like at the time, I'd only taken one accounting class. <laughs> it was definitely like a daunting thing to go into mm-hmm. it because I sort of felt like I was locking it in and like I ended up sticking with it, but mm-hmm. um, you don't have to. Um, I know a lot of people think like going into the externship process that you sort of like have to stick with it. Like I know a lot of people who went through um, the sophomore year externships and like decided not to take an, um, oh, an internship. Okay. I know people who like, um, did the internship decide not to take full time so like I would say that's one thing that's like sort of a misconception like I know when I was a sophomore I thought that I was like locking in my entire future totally and that is a big conversation I've noticed this year with other sophomores um, in accounting other sophomores who want to go into banking or other sophomores in general because a lot of the internships that you're interviewing for are for that summer after your junior year Yeah. It's really crazy. And like, it feels like such a big decision in the moment. Like I remember being so stressed about it, Mm -hmm. like not knowing if I wanted to do accounting at all and like sort of feeling like I had to just apply to these things and like sort of sign away, like sign away my life, which is really not how it is. Um, So people make it seem, but you definitely have a lot of opportunity to like pivot. Like I know all of the firms will say like, if you do your internship in one area and you don't like it, you can go to another area. Like there's a lot of flexibility there that I don't think I realized at the time. So we've been talking about your career now in accounting. Was there anything that sparked your interest in general to study accounting in school? I guess it goes back to freshman year. I came into BC like fully intending on going to law school straight after graduation. Um, I was in CSOM, but I was in econ concentration. So I never really thought that um, I'd be doing any like actual business stuff. I was like, I'm just going to do econ, like maybe get a minor and get out, go to law school and like do the whole thing. So sophomore year, um, obviously everyone has to take financial accounting. Mm -hmm. And I took it. I took it with Professor Ed Taylor. He's amazing. I thought he was great. I had always said, um, you know, prior to that, I was like, I'm never going to do finance or accounting. Like, that's not my thing. Like I'm in CSOM, but I'm not like finance, accounting, business. Like, it's not really me. Um, I took financial accounting. I loved it. I like something about accounting really like worked with how my brain processed things. Um, and it sort of just clicked for me at the same time. I was sort of like feeling a little burnt out. Like maybe I don't want to go straight to law school. So it kind of lined up perfectly for me to, um, add an accounting major and decide to do the whole externship process. Do you think about law school ever or what parts of it were initially attractive to you? Um, so I actually, I do still think about maybe going to law school one day. Um, I think I just decided that it wasn't really the best idea for me at the time to go straight through just because it's a big investment in like time and money. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I sort of wanted to get some work experience, um, see what was out there before really committing to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So talk me through a day in your life now. What branch do you sit in? What do your typical clients look like? So um, I guess I'd start by saying that So I'm in the tax branch um, at KPMG and my particular division within tax, it's called um, accounting methods and credit services. And it's definitely more of like a tax consulting type of role. Um, I don't really do tax returns at all ever. Um, It's more like special projects. So like one of the main things we do is like R&D tax credit studies and we do a lot of method changes, but I'd say R&D is like the main thing that we do. What does that stand for? Um, Research and development. Okay. So a lot of 
my days now are, you know, looking through the documentation that they send us and I get on the phone with um, like the engineers and R&D folks at our clients and sort of just talk to them about like what they do and what their day to day is like. So we'll get a list of the projects that our clients have completed that year or that they've been working on that year. And we'll call them up and just say, hey, tell us like why this is new and exciting. Tell us how you came up with the idea. And what do you do with that information? So we basically gather their financial data and then we talk to them about um, what sort of work and what projects they're doing. And from those conversations, we determine what percentage of it at a high level is research and development based. Um, And there's like um, a four part test of criteria that the IRS sets out for what actually qualifies as R&D. So we sort of put it into that framework, decide what percentage of it we think would qualify and then um, do all of our calculations on their financial data, like um, their salaries, their supplies, expenses, their contract research, and come out with a credit for them that goes directly against their um, tax liability to make it easier for companies to come up with new cool products in the future. Okay. I think, I think I'm following. I do have a question though, about how the credit and tax element impact these companies ability to innovate. So basically let's say a company owes, um, a million dollars in taxes at the end of the year. And so we'll look through what they did that year and say, we come up with a credit of $200,000. That's then at the end of the day, they'll only owe $800,000 in taxes. And basically it just saves them a little bit bit of money. It puts some extra money in their pocket to invest into their R&D in the future. Because one of the main things about R&D is that it's really uncertain whether or not you're going to be able to come out with a viable product. So when you have this idea, it is a big risk for a company to say, okay, we're going to put some of our money, some of our resources towards this idea and see if we can make it work. Um, And if, companies have a little bit more of a financial incentive to work towards that. It really just helps everyone and they come up with some really cool stuff. Okay. Okay. That does make a lot more sense. And what do these businesses look like size-wise? Are they massive corporations? Are they middle market growing companies? Um, probably a little bit of each. Okay. So I have some clients that are like huge companies, um, like certain ones that are like the biggest company in the world in their sector And then we have some clients that are like little, almost startup type companies Mm -hmm. that are just getting going. So it really spans across that, spans across industries too. Um, In Boston, a lot of our clients are like the biotech clients. Yeah, a lot of my clients are biotech, um, either vaccines or like software to better predict how to care for patients. Um, But then we do have like a bunch of other random clients. We have a lot of technology clients. We have... Um, some manufacturers of like actual products. So it really ranges. And I think it's really cool that I get to, you know, spend most of my days just like on the phone talking to the people who work there and seeing, you know, what their job is like and what stuff they're really innovating in their sphere and, you know, sort of dipping my hand into all those things. And what type of information are you looking to get out of your conversations that help you do your job, if that makes sense? So there's a couple different types of R&D, but the main type is just like a basic four-part test that the IRS has put out. Um, So it's permitted purpose, which is just like, basically, are you coming up with something new and innovative? 
technological in nature. So is it based in hard sciences or computer science, something like that? An iterative process of design, which is basically trial and error. You're trying out different things, seeing what works best and the elimination of uncertainty, which is there's some problem that you're trying to fix and you don't necessarily know if you're going to be able to fix it or how you're going to be able to fix it. And if you meet all four of those, um, that's sort of really what makes it R&D. And the only way we're really able to sort of understand that is by getting on the phone with all the engineers and the people who do the day-to-day work and seeing what they're up to. Are they legally binded to go through a CPA at all? Um, sort of. They could do their um, tax returns on their own if they want, I think. But obviously, it's like sort of a more specialized area. So... You know, if you're just the CFO at this company, you don't necessarily know all of the super specific details of the R&D credit or whatever credit we happen to be doing at the time. And it sort of is a big undertaking to gather all the data that's necessary for it and compute everything. So usually these are clients who have KPMG do their entire tax return and Mm -hmm. they'll contract us to sort of do a deep dive into this one area if they think that it's something that's going to benefit them. And so the next step from studying accounting in school comes the CPA exam. Yes. So can you talk about when studying for that became a very integrated part of your life? Yeah. So I guess I'll start off by saying to take the CPA exam, you need to have 150 credits. And BC really pushes you to get that done in four years. And a lot of people at BC do get it done in four years, but um a lot of people that I work with who didn't go to BC all did a master's in accounting. Mm. So that's just one thing to keep in mind um, that you don't have to do it in four years. That's sort of a misconception I had going into it. Um, that being said, I overloaded it a ton and made it work. But in terms of actually studying for the exam, it's a four-part exam. Um, I started studying the summer after I graduated. I know a lot of people recommend getting started your spring semester of senior year. I chose not to because I really just wanted to live in the moment and experience my last time at BC. And I've passed two parts so far and I'm working on my third. How was fitting in the 150 credits? I know you had mentioned you took some classes pass fail. Is that common? Yeah, I feel like, especially within accounting, since you do, if you want to take 150 in four years, you kind of have Mm. to take some stuff pass fail. Um, Like I was mentioning to you before, at the time I was taking... 20 credits plus TAing your portico class. Yeah. So it was, I think if I was taking it for a grade, it would have been way too overwhelming. So it was one of those things where it was nice to be able to go there and learn, but not have to mm-hmm. have the pressure of. And what's the timeline to finish all four parts? And what does that certification mean next for your career? So, like I said, it's a four part exam. Mm-hmm. And Um, all of the big four accounting firms sort of give you the incentive to finish it within a year of graduating or a year of starting your career there. Um, So you can get your bonus if you finish it. Okay, so that's the incentive to do so? Um, And then, so you basically have to pass all four parts and then there's a work requirement. So you have to work. There's some certain amount of hours, but it equates to about a year working um, in public accounting or really any sort of accounting actually. And... Once you pass the test, get your work requirements done, you can get certified and it's helpful in terms of wherever you want to go next with your career, whether you want to stay in public accounting, that's really the way you can get promoted is if you have the certification. But if you want to go into 
really any other field from what I've heard, at least it's a really helpful thing to have. It just shows that you're really knowledgeable in the area. You're sort of a like expert, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. in accounting and that you're dedicated enough to, you know, put in the time to Mm -hmm. take this exam. And I think that's something that people really value in the industry. And what does that next step look like? Like, how does the promotions that you can get once you have your CPA change your day-to-day responsibilities? Yeah. So right now I'm an associate and the next step would be senior associate. You actually can be a senior associate without your CPA, um, but you can't get promoted to be a manager without your CPA. But as a senior, it's a little bit more of a supervisory role. You're still doing some of the like day-to-day calculations and stuff. But you're sort of taking more control in these calls that I was talking about earlier. You're, you know, sort of leading the discussion a little bit more. Whereas right now I'm sort of listening, asking questions where I need to, but not, I'm not really the primary person leading the discussion yet. Um, And the seniors are the ones who sort of delegate some of their work and tasks to me, um, give me some feedback on what I'm doing, how I could be doing better, stuff like that. And so what does your role look like as an analyst, other than the conversations, other than being on those calls, like talk about the actual numbers side of things? Yeah. So it's a lot of Excel. Um, I wouldn't say anything like crazy Mm -hmm. hard in Excel. Um, I'd say a lot of the more challenging part of my work comes from really understanding like why we're doing a certain calculation and how the tax code is written and how we can build that into our model. But, you know, nothing too crazy, no crazy formulas, just really sort of understanding how um, the law translates to the calculation. That's the first time I've heard about that. And not that I I really don't know much about accounting um, at all or as a profession, but that's just interesting to me to hear about how the law and regulation really does tie into your day to day. Yeah, it's definitely different than what I expected. Okay. Oh, really? A little bit more like... um, a little bit more like analytical okay. and less just like straight plugging in numbers. I find that I a lot of times really have to think about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and the best way to go about it. And as this is your first year and you've been working from home, how has it been integrating into your role? Yeah, so I feel very lucky that I worked on this team as an intern. Um, so it's pretty much all the same people. There's a few new oh, people, nice. but yeah, I'd say it's really helped me a lot to be able to have known them even just for a few months before and, you know, go into it feeling a little bit more comfortable reaching out to them. Um, Cause it's definitely an intimidating thing to start a new job. And especially when you can't see someone face to face, you can sort of get in your head about asking questions and everything. And it could be a little daunting, but so I knew them all going into it. I love my team. I think they're all great. They're all super helpful. How do you get um, like delegated there? Um, so the person who interviewed me was the partner in charge of this division, okay. and he's the one who recommended me for the Global Advantage program. Um, we really like connected and yeah, it sounds like had it. similar values and everything. He also actually um, talked to me about how he had wanted to be a lawyer, but ended up going into accounting. Okay. Um, so we got along really well, and he recommended me for that program. And then I guess once the internship rolled around, he... Um, requested that I be put on his team. Okay. And I really loved it. Too. Like when people talk about their desks that they sit on or what divisions they're in, and then you ask them, like, oh, yeah, it's nine people. I'm like, so how out of the thousands of people 
do you find your way onto like this desk or this team mm-hmm. but that I guess that like networking goes to show yeah I think it really just worked out in my favor um I'm very happy with where I ended up and you know some of our training involves the normal like tax compliance filling out returns and stuff and mm-hmm. I could definitely say that I prefer the work that I do so mm-hmm. and to to sort of wrap up you studied abroad in Parma can you speak to that a little more so I studied abroad my senior no junior spring sorry um in Parma Italy which is a pretty small city it's between it's in the north of Italy between Milan and Florence and it's definitely a very unique abroad experience it's a BC program right yeah so BC it's a BC program and BC is the only American school that has a program in Parma oh wait what yeah (laughs) do is there a reason that you know of or um so basically the woman who runs the program over in Parma. She's from Parma and she came to BC for grad school and basically like pitched this whole okay. program and got it started, which is awesome. And it was definitely a more, I don't know that I'd say more immersive, but it was a bit of a different experience. Um, it wasn't really, there are some programs that are, you know, bigger cities, a little bit more like partying oriented for some people. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not really what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the larger cities, like maybe Roman Florence, are a little bit more geared towards tourism. Um, they really accommodate towards Americans. Like everyone speaks English and Parma wasn't like that at all. Yeah. So we had to take at least one semester of Italian before going. And we took Italian while we were there as well. And I would say it was definitely necessary because, you know, people spoke a little bit of English. They mm-hmm. could say, you know, hello, how are you? But it was pretty rare that you would find someone who you could hold an entire conversation with. So we really had to sort of be more immersed in the culture there rather than having them 